Hey, y'all. Before we get started, as you know, there's a listener survey on facebook.com slash no such thing podcast, and I need more feedback. What I've gotten so far has been pretty outstanding, and I'm already making changes to upcoming episodes and really thinking about the programming for the coming year, really, uh, based on some of what's in there. I really benefit a ton from knowing who you are, where you're listening, uh, and what kind of issues are going to be most pressing uh, and most interesting, most fun for you to dig into on your commute or on your weekend, whenever whenever you're listening. So uh, please do check it out, facebook.com slash no such thing podcast. Uh, like the page uh, because I also do frequent updates. Um, not, you know, not a ton. I'm not going to flood your your whatever timeline. Um, but I try to just give a heads up when new episodes are coming out. Uh, great articles that I'm reading, things that I'm digging up out in the uh, world of the Internet and from friends and colleagues. So. Do check it out. Like us. Facebook.com slash no such thing podcast. Today we have a really neat episode. My buddy Brian Sweeting is back. I'm Brian Sweeting from newlearningtimes.com. Based at Columbia University's Teachers College. Brian and I are experimenting with a new format for the show. Uh, some of you might be familiar with a YouTube format that's popular for creators called unboxing. Well, we're trying out a format for the show where we're going to be unboxing some recent coverage of New Learning Times uh, that covers everything from uh, VR to new new research. And what I love about it is uh, it's kind of like Christmas for me. I'm getting uh, things from Brian and we're just sort of unboxing and exploring together as we go. I have episodes coming up in the coming months with... Uh, some of your favorites, uh, Chris Emden is going to be back. I have friends from Code Society and other of my uh, great computer science education friends. Uh, we have all kinds of stuff planned for back to school. So I hope you are enjoying your summer break. I hope uh, that the episodes are keeping you busy while uh, you have some free time and are uh, doing a little bit of uh, honing your practice, thinking about new things, building new ideas for your work. I thank you as always for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode with Brian Sweetie. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about the promise and reality of learning with technology. I'm Mark Lesser. Brian, you're back. Yes, thank I, you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. Uh, what I was thinking about this morning was um, this is one of my favorite episode formats now because... It kind of feels like Christmas because I don't I don't know what you're bringing to me. Okay. <laughs> right. You have gifts um, coming from uh, New Learning Times that you guys have been covering, and they're like curiosities for you and me. Yeah. And I feel like in some ways this is our. Um, it's sort of like our an unboxing episode, it right? Is. So like, yeah. right? Like I'm I'm just going to open these stories. We're going to talk about them, and okay. uh, and. The uh, anyone listening is basically just going to hear how it goes as we open up these stories 
figure out what's happening here. So it's like Christmas. It feels great. Yeah, I like that analogy. That's good. Um, so so uh, things at New Learning Times. I know uh, there's there's always a lot going on at the end of the academic year. Yeah. Um, the how are how is readership are are folks uh, excited about the publication? Yeah, and we have uh, a lot of products that we've been reviewing lately. Uh, I'm always kind of surprised because we've been doing product reviews for six or seven years, and we do two a week. Uh, and I always think that we're going to run out of EdTech products, and we never do. Like, we can't get to all of them fast enough. Yeah. Um, so, that yeah, it's there's always something going on. It's very exciting. I believe it. Um, it is an insane, it's like just a very busy and exciting market um yeah. for those things right now so so let's jump into it what tell me what you have for me yeah well i thought we could start um with a discussion about a a research summary that we published recently um and then maybe jump to some product reviews uh but this research summary is about um teacher engagement in the classroom um and We've done a lot of pieces on this, and I think it's it's kind of this ongoing question, especially uh, in flipped classrooms. Yeah. Uh, how how is the teacher interacting, or the lecturer, or the instructor uh, interacting, and what is their purpose? Mm. Um, and I'm always interested in this personally. I used to teach uh, English as a foreign language, and um, and I used to train teachers as well. And our focus was always thinking about. Uh, what percentage of the time in the classroom is the focus on the instructor and what percentage um, are you shifting it back to student to student interactions? And ideally, I would always um, ask uh, teachers to think about like a 70 percent uh, student focus mm. and a 30 percent or less focus on the instructor. Uh, so that was kind of like that's where uh, I come thinking about um uh, teacher student interactions um but yeah so so the title of the article is ideally i want it all ideally i want it all yes so um so what's the all the all is that the instructor should be both a provider of information a provider of help and encouraging student interactions Mm. uh, and doing all of those things which is a lot and um, that was so that that was the result of this survey that was administered. It was a fairly small, um, fairly small survey that was given to about forty students in a pre-med class, mm-hmm. and asked them questions at the beginning, middle, and end of the semester on you know their favorite experiences with an instructor in a lecture format, um, and then asked them to reflect on the role of the instructor. Uh, of the instructor in their class they just completed. Yeah. Um, So uh, about 65% of the surveyed students reported that an ideal instructor would engage in a lot of teacher-student interaction. Mm -hmm. Um, And then 75% commented that they actually had little or no interaction with the instructor instructor of their favorite lecture course. Wow. Yeah. So kind of like a a disconnect between expectations and... um, and what they were experiencing. I think it'd be cool to run this thing uh, in high school. Oh yeah, that right? would be Yeah. Um, it also depends on like I had so many 
I had a lot of instructors in higher education who were great lecturers and mm -hmm. I wanted more lecture. It was like, you know, that's a great way to learn when somebody's good at it. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, I had a lot of people who <laughs> I think the the you know, the most obvious gripe is um, people hate bad lecture. Like who wants to be lectured to? It's even got a negative connotation uh, because when somebody is, um, you know, n not good at, a, you know, elucidating um, their their topic area, uh, who wants to listen to that? It can be really painful. And yeah, I think we've all had experiences where, you know, you just totally check out and you're like falling asleep or I don't know, you're on your phone. It's terrible. But 75%, it's a small, it's a small survey, but 75% um, yeah. saying they had little or no uh, interaction with an instructor is, is, um, it's a little alarming. Yeah. So yeah, it is a small survey, and uh, I think it's a, it's a good glimpse into some student perceptions on uh, instructor interactions. But it made me it made me think about um, kind of some bigger questions about uh, why we gather in educational spaces. And so right now, I'm listening to uh, whoa, what? <laughs> whoa! It's this is this is getting uh, this is bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why we gather in educational spaces? Go on. Yeah. So I'm listening to um, an audiobook, The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters by Priya Parker. And it is just kind of like reevaluating the question of like, what are the objectives behind any type of gathering? You know, so like when you have a baby shower or a birthday party, why are you really doing that? Is it just because uh, that's what's done? Or like, is there is there something more like specific that you should be aiming for in those gatherings? So the premise is, you know, when we don't examine the deeper assumptions behind why we gather, we just replicate old formats of gathering. Um, and then we like eliminate the possibility of creating like a more memorable experience. Um, but I, I think love this. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's a really good book. Um, and what, what is Priya Parker's, uh, do you know her background? I should know her background. I don't, um, let's who see. are you Priya Parker? And, and how do you know so much about gathering? Uh, this is a good question. Uh, Priya, pa let me tell you about Priya. Yeah. My friend Priya is the founder of Thrive Labs at which she okay. helps activists, elected officials, corporate executives, educators, many commas. Uh, philanthropists create transformative gatherings trained in the field of conflict resolution. Parker has worked on race relations on American college campuses, on peace process in the Arab world, Southern Africa and India. She studied organizational design at MIT, public policy at Harvard Kennedy School and political thought, social thought at the University of Virginia. Oh, right. um, and she yeah, lives hi. in Brooklyn. You can visit her. Hi, Priya. Um, that sounds fantastic. I love that. Yes, it's it's really I I recommend it, um, and I think you know it's got me thinking about the same kind of questions in an educational space. So, what are the objectives? And I think, like, what are the objectives in a lecture? But also, like, you kind of have to think about each lecture. Like, is there going to be a different model depending on what you're talking about? Right. You know, like, I don't know. These are good questions. Yeah. You know, it, it reminds me a little bit of, um, 
There was so so. There's a a very famous um, there's a very famous uh, sort of uh, data visualization historian slash designer Edward Tufte. Do you know him? No, no. Um, so he's amazing uh, at Yale for many many years, and um, and he was one of the people who really railed against this sort of culture of PowerPoint that was happening. You know, had, still continues to happen, but sort of, yeah. you know, fifteen years ago was sort of like helping us create patterns um, that were just that were just uh, forcing people to make mistakes. And I remember he wrote a paper yeah. at one point that was about um, that was basically positing that uh, NASA's uh, some of not NASA's failures were results of sort of bulleted culture and PowerPoints um, in yeah. some of the shuttle crashes. And, and it's like, so it, as we're thinking about gathering and the technology of gathering, it's also interesting to think about these cultural patterns that we build around the technologies of gathering uh, that can work both ways, right? It's like, there's no such thing as a technology that, um, that creates the perfect gathering and, and vice versa. There's no live gathering that doesn't have the trappings of, uh, you know, patterns that can kind of fall short of what we hope. Like I'm, I'm, as I'm reading the description of the art of gathering by Priya Parker, um, she talks about, uh, um, you know, some, some of these cultural gatherings that we're just so used to, I think yeah. uh, you just mentioned, like even for, you know, a, a wedding shower or a baby shower, whatever, whatever it is. Um, it's like, how are these things falling short of what's expected or, or what's possible mo more, um, more interestingly. Mm -hmm. um, so I love that. Let's talk more uh, you know, I think an interesting, um, an interesting convening of brains would be, uh, a, a group of experts to get together to talk about the science of gathering, um, with folks who are thinking about flipped classroom and, and that kind of practice along with these, you know, some of these researchers who are really interested in making that work and, and have a yeah. good open dialogue about that, um, so noted for this, this, uh, sounds like a great future episodes. Maybe, uh, I'd love to have a conversation like that live one day. Um, what yeah. else, what else you got? Uh, okay. Yeah. So that was, um, you know, that was kind of my, uh, takeaway there. I don't, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot. I think I'll continue to, um, to think about that in the, in some of the questions you just raised. So that was good. Um, okay. Last time we talked a little bit about virtual reality and we've published a few pieces since then, uh, that kind of continue that, uh, on that conversation. Yes. Uh, yeah. I wanted to talk about, okay. So we just looked at uh, a research piece, um, you know, questioning virtual reality, it's increasing engagement, but is it actually increasing learning? Mm. Um, and, it, you know, that's like one of the outstanding questions as uh, curriculum still being developed for VR apps. Yep. Yeah. So this study, uh, it was at the at a university in Denmark with uh, 52 students, and it simulated a biology lab experience, both in VR and uh, on a desktop program. Uh, and it uh, was looking at like using equipment in a biology lab and working through procedures. Uh, and then they used EEGs to measure the brain activity of the uh, 
of the participants while they were either doing, you know, biology lab exercises in VR or on the desktop. Uh, and then they use multiple choice tests to evaluate, you know, the knowledge that they had gained uh, through these exercises. Uh, and then afterwards, they did a survey of their participants um, to get an understanding of like their presence in the activities, their beliefs on learning, and then their satisfaction afterwards. Uh, so after uh, they did, participants reported being more present in the VR group. Uh, however, they also reportedly learned less and they had lower test scores than the non-VR group. So this study kind of concluded that VR was more engaging, but there wasn't enough there to make for a, like a truly effective learning experience. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought that. I thought that was, uh, you know, kind of shows where people who are developing curriculum and experiences for VR have to you know, really focus. The engagement's already there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the title is, yes, virtual reality increases engagement, but does it increase learning? Um, answer, not in this case. <laughs> <laughs> so Melanie Herring is the, is the uh, byline and, and uh, not in this case is the, is the result. I feel like this is one of the, I feel like VR and AR, um, like these new virtual media, I feel like, is one of those um, <clears throat> is one of those topic areas and research areas that we can't we really can't talk enough about right now and and here's why I think that is I think it's one of those areas that um, could easily suffer from uh, the kind of fate that a lot of things do where you know for for some reason. Even in education where um, the lip service is that we embrace iteration, that we're constantly forming and improving and, um, you know, and, and that kind of ethos is, yeah. is kind of the lip service. Uh, on the flip side of that is a practice where or a or a, a cultural pattern in the field where um, we often will hear one thing about something like VR or whiteboards or, you know, whatever it is. And yeah. it's like, oh, uh, clearly it's not working. And we sort of shut off the news about uh, how things are evolving for a yeah. year. And in some yeah. cases, like you lose a year of practice because um, you you miss things. And uh, I feel like VR is one of those categories where we have to continue to talk constantly about um, what research is learning, what um, how the medium is evolving, because VR 10 years ago looked very different than it looks right now. So the possibilities right. are different. And um, so I just think there's there it's one of those topics that could easily suffer from um, from our short attention span on new innovation, but yeah. uh, that we just need to pay attention to. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a good assessment, especially because when a new technology is introduced, there seems to be so much excitement around the potential for how it's going to change learning or change, you know, whatever sector. Uh, and then I think you're right. Like once the limits of those possibilities are exposed initially, uh, it kind of dampens the excitement. Yeah. And people move on a little to bit. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I mean, we, we may need on VR, 
um, like we don't even have the form factor right yet. You know what I mean? Right. Like we're still working on how, how do you even get a headset into a classroom that it, first of all, is like light enough for a seven year old, um, sized for a kid that yeah. isn't totally distracting, doesn't cause motion sickness. Like, w- like we're still working on so, like so at a fundamental level that mm-hmm. um, to write anything off at this stage is uh, I just think is such a mistake. So um, anyway, good to know. Uh, we continue to uh, know something about how engaging VR is, but um, but skepticism continues about whether it's increasing learning, at least for uh, this context. Here. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes back to thinking about the uh, learning objectives and outcomes, too. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I've always gotten a sense, uh, especially when a new technology is emerging, that there's uh, a lot of use uh, for it because it's new. I, I don't know, you're... You want to use it because it's there and it's exciting, but if you're not necessarily thinking about the objective behind the activities, then I think that's what happens is that it's engaging just inherently, um, but there's not much more to it than that. So yeah, I think it, I think it comes back to, you know, what is your objective? Same mm. with the, like designing the lecture hall or the flipped classroom. You just have to revisit that every time. Yeah, agreed. Um, what's next? Uh, okay. So on the subject of VR, uh, we recently reviewed a a virtual reality product for, uh, chemistry learning called Hololab Champions. Whoa. This article is learn chemistry in virtual reality with Hololab Champions. This was written by Sarah Hardman. Nice. Uh, this was a mini chemistry lab challenge uh, in a game show format, so that's very fun. This looks really. I'm just looking at the images from the the uh, virtual environment. Look really fun. Yeah, it looks very engaging for sure. Um, yeah, and it, some of the activities that you're doing in VR are like weighing different matter on an analytical scale, lighting a Bunsen burner. Um, discovering whether chemicals are soluble and like learning about the different physical properties of the elements. So it kind of feels like picture um, the stage of like for old people like me um, picture the who wants to be a millionaire like round stage where uh, or for for um, another reference would be it's kind of like an America's Got Talent or oh no no, no it's like it's kind of like the voice um, the oh, the, yeah, okay. the television uh, singing whatever game show uh-huh. yeah. um, so picture that kind of environment where it's kind of like um, it's kind of like uh, uh, dramatic lighting on a dark on a black round stage. Uh, but then you have a, a basically a chemistry lab set up (laughs) and, uh, and, and sort of doodads all around like instrumentation and gauges and things along with your like beakers and your heat and all the things you would do in chemistry, um, with like the hanging backdrop of, uh, so just giving, giving you a sense of, uh, what to expect if you check it out. Um, so, uh, what were, what were, uh, the impressions of, of the reviewer? 
Uh, okay, so in this review, in some ways, it's a really good um, hands-on experience, uh, and it's a good exposure to like some of the procedures of a lab and kind of familiarizing yourself with the equipment. But um, at the end of the day, it can't replicate the uh, sensation of pouring substances into a beaker. Mm. Uh, and that's something that the reviewer had a, a hard time with. And then um, I was playing around with it too. And it was really hard for some reason because you've got these two um, handheld remotes and, you know, like the tactile sensations of what you're feeling don't exactly match up with what you're seeing in mm. VR. Yeah, um, and I think in using VR, like there is a learning curve in terms of like figuring out your spatial awareness and how things relate to each other. Uh, and for whatever reason, just like this pouring action was really hard for all of us uh, on the team to do. Hmm. So um, I think like there's a little bit of frustration there because the expectation is that it's going to be that the VR experience is going to really like replicate the in-person one hmm. and you know pouring is something you do every day so to not be able to do it um and obviously like chemistry is a very very accurate uh science uh, you know like that that was not really um i don't think that was going to transfer to any uh real life chemistry skills yeah yeah there's also so uh, like the thing i like about the thing I like about the idea of chemistry in a VR environment is the accessibility. Um, yeah. Not that a VR setup is terribly accessible at the moment. Like we're, we're talking about, uh, I, I've had an expert on in the past year who basically talked about a setup that would be in the ballpark of like three grand for a whole, uh, you know, to have the yeah. computing power you need plus the headset plus um uh, device, you know, if you have, uh, the haptic, uh, controllers and stuff, but, yeah. um, so I like the potential for accessibility in the sense that one day when they're affordable to schools, um, students who maybe don't have wet labs could, um, do this kind of thing. But you know what I don't like about it is that, um, I think we forget how, like how engaging, um, these sciences are in, in real life. Like, yeah. uh, you know, th there's a tactile point of engagement to chemistry that was like all of the fun of chemistry when you were yeah. in middle and high school, you know what I mean? It was like, Oh, we're, we're going to pour like, do you know, people forget about like the science kits, um, you get as a kid and how jazzed you are to like make a thing explode. And yeah, that was all such a tactile experience that then well, to add this virtual layer feels kind of weird. Yeah. And kind of, uh, so I have truly traumatic experiences from my chemistry classes in high school because it was a very weak subject for me. Uh, and I mean, like ultimately it was fine. I enjoyed, <laughs> I enjoyed it. But, uh, so when you say truly traumatic, I was I was envisioning like you <laughs> you like uh, I don't know you you lost a hand or something. Well, actually, not for me, but for my, I remember my AP chemistry teacher. We went we went out on Mole Day. Mole Day. I don't know if you ever celebrated that. Mole Day. Mole Day. Yeah. Do you no, know? like like the critter a mole. No, no. Like, uh, hang on. Let me let me think about this definition. Or Google the definition. Uh, isn't a, uh, so, okay. Is a mole a? Um, it's a. It's a. It's a uh, unit of measure. A unit of measure, right? Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
So it's an official uh, holiday celebrated among chemists, uh, and it happens on October 23rd between 6.02 a.m. and 6.02 p.m. Right. Because the mole unit is, uh, oh, God, I hope no one from my chemistry class is listening. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, Avogadro's number, which is 6.02 times 10 to the 23rd power, Defining the number of particles in one uh, mole of a substance. What? Yeah. Hmm. And that's how they get mole sauce? I think so. I <laughs> <laughs> no, not to be confused with mole. Mole. Right. Unit of measure. I didn't understand the rest of what you said. You know, I somehow got a four on the AP chemistry. <laughs> well, you took AP chemistry, so that's you're already a, a leg up for me. That standardized test cramming has not paid off. Get it? I get it. Yeah. Okay. But, so, um, so what happened on Mole Day? On Mole Day, you do a bunch of fun chemistry experiments that have like a big wow factor, um, presumably to like engage you in learning. But mostly, it's really cool. Uh, but did something bad happened to yeah, your chemistry? Yeah. Yes. So we went outside and uh, she, I don't even remember what the experiment was, but it was like some kind of combination of chemicals that produced a really loud bang. And we were all like physically taken aback by it. Uh-huh. Uh, and we didn't think anything of it at the moment. But then I remember weeks, maybe even a few months later, our uh, chemistry teacher was having difficulty hearing oh, uh, no and then she revealed she's like oh yeah you know like i lost a little bit of hearing in my ear from that molde experiment oh my gosh i know and just never told like bad damage to her to her hearing you know anybody who thinks that uh science is not a uh an adrenaline sport yeah yeah <laughs> that poor teacher like trying trying to uh do something that dazzles and and uh man losing some hearing yeah so actually traumatizing for her but uh not not really right. your your trauma was uh bad grades bad grades and uh just kind of like the stress of knowing that if you don't do something right in chemistry in a chemistry lab like yeah. you know you could it's a fire hazard or you could you know burn yourself or something yeah. but it I don't know. That adds to the excitement of, of learning. Kind of, right? The stakes yeah. are high. The stakes are high, yeah. So, I, you know, you don't really get that in VR. Interesting. So, <laughs> yeah. um, okay. So, Hololab champions, a possibility mm -hmm. for the chem lab. Maybe it's an accompaniment to a wet lab. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can't do wet lab every day. So, maybe yeah. it's a way that, for particularly for students who maybe are ahead of... Um, Ahead of peers, uh, having a sort of VR setup where they could get some extra lab time would be cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. Go, with, go with that. Yeah. Or, you know, like before deciding that you want to sign up for a chemistry class, uh, it might be good like to play around and get a sense of, is this something that interests you? Yeah. Let's, let's see who... Oh, Hololab Champions is Shell Games. Um, so shell games for, for folks who don't know it, um, uh, is a long time participant in, in, uh, festivals like games for change. Like these, these folks are based in Pittsburgh. Jesse shell is like a huge name in, um, the production of 
learning and a category called serious games that we've talked about before on this show, but but games that uh, have sort of social purpose or or intent to um, kind of change minds or advance thinking. Um, and Hololab is is a work of shell games and um, really interesting. So um, so check that out. It looks like yeah. it actually results from um, the USDOE has a research grant uh, that this resulted from. And it sounds like uh, they were funded to do some experimentation in VR um, related to chemistry. And uh, good on good on you, Department of Education. Yeah, right. Uh, keeping keeping a uh, keeping in in the game. Um, I'm excited about that. And Shell Games, check them out if you don't know them. I am a fan and supporter just because I think there are, uh, we need about a hundred production studios uh, yeah. like Shell Games to be, um, to be innovating in this area. Yeah, I agree. Um, what else we got? Uh, okay. And then similarly, um, we also reviewed a really wonderful product called Kinful. Oh, I'm excited about this one, right? Yeah, this is really cool because it is kind of everything focused on uh, social emotional learning. Mm. Um, and the people at Kinful were, were really great. They're based in Brooklyn, I think. Um, and they delivered this uh, this kit, this physical like box to uh, the Ed Lab. Okay. Morningside like came all the way up to Morningside Heights, um, and it has everything in it. And it has it has a lot of uh, hands on social emotional learning exercises. It came with a virtual reality headset, cameras, and setup. Uh, and then it also came with a really thorough uh, um, instructional guide with more activities. Hmm. Um, yeah, so it's everything from like card games to like feats of physical dexterity with like nylons and coins to this VR headset that's showcasing these student created like 360 immersive videos. Um, and then the, uh, the other really nice thing about Kinful is that they uh, will do a consultation with you to like give some contextualization to the activities, mm. uh, and with, you know, like, which is a really a great introduction since there's uh, so much there. So altogether, the kit was, you know, really substantive, a lot of activities, um, really nice support, which is not something that they just did for us because we were reviewing the product, but they do offer that for uh, instructors in schools as well. Mm. Um, so there was, there was a lot of delight in, in reviewing this because there was so much there and there was really good support for it too. Hmm. Yeah. So give me an example. Did you, did you get to, um, so this was written by Melanie Herring, uh, Kinful lets students learn social and emotional skills through play. Um, did you get to, to try it on? No, I didn't. And we, uh, it would be great to have Melanie on the podcast too. So she could talk more about, uh, what her like individual experiences were. Yeah. I like, I'm curious what a card game, first of all, why do we need a card game in virtual reality? Um, is a question. Oh, wait. So that was a, that was a real reality reality, uh, game. Oh, nice. Yeah, so okay. It, sorry, it's, a, it's a mix of both VR activities and oh, cool. in-person stuff you can do too. Okay. Or social emotional learning. Great. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty neat. I love the idea when it comes around that, you know, like a kit, um, you, you don't often, when you hear about sort of in, in air quotes, ed tech, um, it's always like a piece of hardware or a piece yeah. of software. Um, uh, but you don't often hear about kits of things that are both 
that are sort of varying levels of um, of sort of virtual intervention or you know versus live experience. Um, and I I kind of love that idea that it would be uh, kind of mix of these things. Yeah. Um, the way uh, I'm trying to think, like. I don't know. I guess even um, game consoles are kind of coming around to um, like, you know, we we started a trend where we're thinking about uh, the kind of kinetic element of games and how we can incorporate a more social um, aspect. So I kind of love that idea. They have a very cute logo, Kinful. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's like lowercase script. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, SEL. <clears throat> which is the SEL, which is the uh, uh, sort of uh, shorthand that that many are using in K-12 education right now for social emotional learning um, is one of those things that is a super hot topic, yeah. um, but is also a um, kind of like a, uh, a you know, a, a renaissance of something that's as old as dust, right. um, you know, which is the idea that uh, alongside um, alongside the competencies that make us good at sort of uh, comprehending and understanding the the subjects that we've created as humans, um, that actually being human and uh, communicating and working with people and and uh, and working together on things and these sorts of things are are as um, as important, if not. Uh, if not more in some, in, in most cases. Um, and it's such an important topic because I think uh, again, like, um, like VR in some ways, I don't think we can talk enough about social emotional learning because, uh, it's one of those areas we, we still haven't figured out. Right. Um, we don't know, uh, where it fits in the school day, where it fits in the curriculum, who are, you know, who's certified in SEL? Do we need a certification or how are yeah. families involved? Like all of these things are huge parts of this conversation around SEL. And, and um, man, uh, you know, tech absolutely has a role and we haven't totally figured it out yet. So good on uh, Kinful for uh, giving it a go. I'm kind of eager to to get a try at this. Yeah. And it really, it was a great mix of tech and then, you know, just like, a card game, something, you know, as old as however old it is. Um, but like a good integration of those things. I love it. And is there like an intended age? Um, um, I don't know if there is a, if there's different, uh, target ages for each activity. hmm. Um, but yeah, that's a good follow up question. It looks like, like the images, which I'm sure are just marketing images, but it looks like maybe a middle school student, but the headsets look a little big. Yeah. 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 They're, um, I don't know. That's the thing about headsets, I think is like, you can adjust them on the back, Mm. but they're, I don't know. So we've done a lot of VR testing with our staff, uh, and everybody kind of has mixed reactions to having a headset on, you know? Yes. I mean, do you put it on over glasses or is your prescription like weak enough? You don't need glasses. I don't know. Yeah. It's still kind of like wearing like a card dashboard on your head. Yeah. 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 It feels weird. It's big. It's kind of plastic and clunky. Um, it'll get better. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's foldable phones for goodness sake. 
I I have not. It's coming. Tried one of those yet? Have it's you? coming. No, I haven't. Uh, no. I don't know that anyone uh, anyone normal has tried it. Probably. You know, not. who's not like either a CNET reviewer or uh, right. Bill Gates. Yeah. <laughs> um, people people who get advanced uh, advanced hardware to uh, geek out with. Yeah, we haven't reviewed that yet. One day, one day, I'll, you and I will be in such a such a category of people. It's all I really want is to fold it. <laughs> tired of not being able to fold it. Right, right. Um, Brian, it is always so fun to have you on and and uh, get into some stuff. Did we? I think we covered it all, right? We unboxed everything that there was to unbox. It, it was a solid unboxing. We had four stories. Okay. Uh, this go around yeah. and uh and it's always super fun and it gives me a ton of ideas for um not just n- new episodes but for uh further exploration i want to do and uh it also gives listeners a really good sense of what uh awesome coverage new learning times is doing um so thank you for all of that yeah thank you for i think your assessments were great and you know you tied it all together in a way that you know, was more eloquent than I did. So thank you. <laughs> no, it's, it's a, it's a team, team sport. Um, we, we got it done. So newlearningtimes.com is where people should, uh, log in and check out new learning times. Yeah. Yeah. We've got other content too. We've got some video content that we produce in house. We do, um, profiles with entrepreneurs. Um, we have some fun meme stuff. So yeah, there's other stuff too. Great. Anything else we should plug before we, uh, say goodbye? Well, I guess I'm plugging Priya Parker's book because uh, I've enjoyed it so much and it's really got me like rethinking a lot of basic gatherings. So, awesome. Priya yeah. Parker, um, we need to, I'm just going to send her an email and yeah, uh, and see if she'll she'll come and, and join for a conversation because I am really intrigued and uh, want to get into that. Yeah, it's so good. Um, Brian, thank you so much as always. Super fun. And I can't wait uh, for the next one. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mark. It's a joy. Talk soon. For more info about advertising with us, charitable sponsorship, or if you have show ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter at M.A. Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero, an Ithaca bomber, an engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No Such Thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org. 